Hello and welcome to the Injury Prevention Podcast from BMJ Journals. My name is Brian Johnston. I'm the Editor-in-Chief. Our podcasts feature papers that we've recently published in the print edition of the journal Injury Prevention. This paper is typically the editor's choice for the issue and it can be freely downloaded online. You can visit injuryprevention.bmj.com to obtain your own copy. You can also leave comments there and link to our archive and to our blog. The editor's choice for the April 2016 issue is titled Structural Housing Elements Associated with Home Injuries in Children. And to talk about the paper, I'm joined by two of its authors, Wendy Shields, who is an assistant scientist, and Eileen McDonald, an associate scientist, both from the Johns Hopkins Center for Injury Research and Policy in Baltimore, Maryland, USA. I'm pleased to welcome you both to the podcast. Thank you. So uh, maybe we could just dive in with the most obvious question is what what was behind this study? What motivated you to undertake this research or what was the research question that you hoped to answer? Yeah, so it was um, it's a little bit of a story the way we came about doing it. Um, so we were gearing up to do a case control study where we were going to examine differences between injured and sick kids in terms of their housing quality. Um, and in preparation for that, we wanted to really understand what different things we should be looking for when we were in the homes of children. And we had a series of meetings with um, people who do housing inspections, um, all from the United States, and we asked them, you know, what injury measures they currently were examining and what, what they recommended we were to do. And um, what we found from those meetings is that there wasn't really a systematic um, injury measures that people were looking for in the home and the ones that they did include they had just kind of like heard that smoke alarms were important or some people were measuring the temperature of the hot water um, but there wasn't really anything that they could go to as a as a tool for knowing what to include to prevent injuries so after we went through that process and we realized there wasn't anything standardized available we kind of had a discussion amongst ourselves and realized that we hadn't really you know considered the whole house Either we ch- we kind of were doing the same the same injury countermeasures in the home that we knew that were associated with injuries, but we had never kind of started with the house and gone gone kind of up from there. So we um, we looked to the um, Nice database, which is a database from the um, Consumer Product Safety Commission here in the United States. It's the National Electronic Injury Surveillance System, and it's primarily used to track injuries from consumer products but we used it to look at um, injuries from housing by searching on different housing elements and what injuries were associated with them. So that's kind of a long-winded answer, but that's kind of the genesis of how we came to be doing this, this study. To be clear, I think we, we understand that the home is a common location for injuries. And previous studies have looked at, as you point out, the presence or the efficacy of injury countermeasures like smoke alarms or anti-scald devices. But in this case, you were actually looking at the risk associated with normal structural elements of the home. Is it really the case that no one's ever looked at that before? Yeah, to to our knowledge, um, no one has really ever looked at it before. And it's a little bit of a different way to use that data set. The Consumer Product Safety Commission, is it was designed as a way to track injuries from consumer products, which um, obviously a door or a window is a consumer product, but it's not usually the way people think about it. But as far as we know, no one has ever um, used it to look at injuries that way or kind of used... um, like looked at the house that comprehensively as a way to understand the different injuries that are associated with the different things in the house. Well, maybe this would be a good time for you to, to talk a little bit more about the NICE data set and uh, how you were able to use it. 
Yeah, so the NICE data set is just a fantastic data set we have available from the Consumer Product Safety Commission, like I said, um, which it has a um, it has a code book that goes with it where it tells you all the different kind of things that they track. And um, the way that it works is there's individuals who are kind of stationed at, I think it's about 62 hospitals in the country right now, and they collect information about any consumer product-related injury from someone who's treated and released or who is admitted to the hospital for that hospital. And um, the sample from the NICE data set allows them to uh, make national estimates in terms of how many injuries are from the different consumer products. And the way we did it was we kind of looked at the code book. So the code book will tell you all different kinds of consumer products in a, a specific code that's associated with it. And we kind of scanned the code book and identified everything that was attached to the house because we were trying to develop a tool for people to use um, when they were inspecting a house. So even though TVs are in a house, we didn't examine TVs because they wouldn't be there necessarily at turnover when there wasn't any of the family's belongings in the house. So we identified the way we said it was everything that was stuck to the house, like doors and floors and ceilings and things like that that would be there um, at the time of turnover for inspection. So then you were looking at, uh, within NICE, you were looking at injuries that were attributed or in some way associated to these these housing elements in the NICE data set. Exactly. And uh, the way NICE works, it you can give it more than one code. Like you could, well, for example, one child in our data set, they jumped out a window off a trampoline. So that child's code would have been a trampoline as well as a window. Um, but we just looked at for each of the different housing elements that was stuck to the house. We looked at the number of injuries and then did a more thorough examination um, for the, the top causes of hospitalizations and ED visits for what the details were of those different injuries. So without, without stealing your thunder, could you uh, maybe uh, describe some of your main results, particularly anything that you found unexpected or surprising? Yeah, so I think, um, I mean, some of it was exactly what you would expect, like stairs were associated with a lot of injuries, which um, you would expect from people falling down the stairs. So our top um, causes of injuries were floors and stairs and doors. Um, and then after that, the next thing was ceilings, which um, I, I really had never considered like a the ceiling as being like an injury risk in the house, but I guess sometimes they fall down and things like that is what we saw. And I guess what was surprising is that something like ceiling would come up quite a bit higher than bathtub, where you kind of know people talk about slipping in the bathtub. It's more common knowledge that that injury exists. So, so it was interesting. It wasn't. We didn't like try to do any predictions before we did the queries to to determine, you know, what we thought would be the leading causes. But um, it wasn't exactly as we expected, I would say. And then the big um, one that we a little bit joke about is nails were associated with. Um, quite a few injuries each year, um, 31,000 ED visits a year is what the national estimate was, which and really like most of those injuries were nails that just were kind of sticking out of the wall or sticking out of the floor that people just got caught on, which we never thought that just to tell people to make sure, you know, all their nails are pounded into their walls or floor. So it's a little bit of a joke that, you know, we found that nails are a big risk factor in homes, but it was um, it was surprising that that's what came up, so. So uh, you mentioned bathtubs, for example, and stairs, I, and I wonder when you when you go go to report these results, whether there's any way to factor in exposure. I think you, in the paper, uh, reported rates per hundred thousand per year, which is what Nice allows you to do. Um, but I don't think there's an easy way to give you measures of risk per unit time exposed. 
So no. There may be high risk, you know, limited exposure areas like a stairwell, for example. Uh, but is there, or have you thought about any ways that we could get at exposure adjusted data? Yeah, I don't really think you could get at it at all from the NICE data system the way it is right now. Um, they just don't have that kind of detail available. And then there's even some things I've seen reported, you know, how much time the average child spends in the house, but it's really varied by age with younger children, obviously, who aren't in school spending a lot more time in the house than older children who are out for other reasons. So I don't really have an idea of how to do that, but I think it would be a really interesting thing to do. Um, and I think the only way to kind of do that with a nice system the way it is currently would be to add different um, fields to where you would actually query people about that when the, when you were doing the interview about how what the details of the injury. I suppose the other you know possibility is to merge nice or at least look at the data with uh, maybe a partial adjustment based on time use surveys for the the population so that you could account for at least the amount of time people spend at home as opposed to in the workplace or school or in outdoor leisure, uh, which would give you a, a partial adjustment of, of risk by exposure, at least how much time you spend in the house. Uh, but then a full adjustment would require doing something where you'd need to measure exposure to specific home structures, which I understand isn't available in any data set now, but with all the current biometric activity trackers that are available, maybe that's something we could do in the future. Yeah, and I think even just like we don't even know like of the of the sample that we looked at, like how many of the homes even had stairs. There's just there's nothing available in the data set. Their home is a code and work and other places are like that the place where the injury took place, but you can't even tell from the coding the way it is right now if it was in their home or in someone else's home. So it would definitely need to have some things added to uh, be able to do that kind of analysis. But Brian, you're giving us an idea for a prospective study with smartphones <laughs> and using ecological momentary assessment theory to guide our work. It's you know with people having cell phones in their uh, in their hands or on them pretty much 24/7 these days. That would be a, an interesting method to explore. All right. Well, I'll just publish it in Injury Prevention. I'll be happy to take credit. <laughs> So the journal is the journal is injury prevention, and I wonder what prevention implications your research results suggested. Um, so I guess one thing, kind of before that, so when Eileen and I first kind of set out, so what we did was we combined all of the the data sets. The way the nice query works is you get a year worth of data at a time. So we um, combined the years 2008 to 2012, and we had one data set for each of the different housing elements, and then we selected. Um, 10% of those to look at the case narrative. And what we really thought we were going to do was, like, for instance, when we were looking at the doors, we thought we would be able to code if the doors were, the condition of the door was part of the problem and why the child was hurt by the door. And um, we weren't able to do that because we didn't have enough detail. So we did the best that we could to still make recommendations based on the detail that was available in the case narrative. And uh, we did come up with some good recommendations. We came up with some things that we recommend that people do when they're building houses, and then some things that we recommend that um, people could do after the house was already built. So um, bathtubs are a good example for that. So um, when you're building a house with a bathtub, you could have the very original bathtub have an anti-slip surface on the bottom, or if it was um, someone was using an inspection tool to look at a house that was already built, you could suggest families use um, anti-slip mats in the bathtub to prevent some of the falls that we saw. I'm trying to think of some other good examples. Eileen, can you think of others that we came up with? Well, well, well the simplest one was pounding in the nails. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. what I was going to remind you of. 
Uh, but certainly yeah. thinking about other surfaces, like there were a number of injuries related to countertops. And again, because the narrative information that was available to us was not always conclusive, it's hard to know if you can engineer out that injury mechanism or if it was the actual human behavior that was responsible for causing the injury. So that uh, brings me, Eileen, I guess, to a follow-up question. Having spent a lot of time with the NICE data set now, uh, I'm sure you have ideas about how it could be improved. You've already alluded to the, the limits of the, the narrative portion. I think in the paper you said it's 140 characters, which is a tweet, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's hard to imagine how much you can put into that unless you're very creative. Yeah, um, I think so NICE gives you one more character. I think you get 141 in NICE and, and a tweet is 140 characters. I see. But people get the idea of, of yeah. how limited that field is. So what what suggestions would you have or, or ideas would you have for improving the NICE data set, at least for the purposes of prevention activity? Well, I, I think one of the first things that um, was apparent to us was um, how many of the narrative fields are missing. Um, so having better training for the coders and really helping them appreciate the value of their efforts to uh, collect the information. Well, I shouldn't say from the coders because they're just they're just transcribing what's provided to them by the clinicians. So I guess the real end user is of training is to work with the clinicians to really get them to understand the value of providing a good description of the circumstances around the injury, the condition of the product and the behavior of the individual and the combination of those two things that resulted in an injury. Frequently we couldn't tell if it was a product that was broken or malfunctioning, if the product was being used incorrectly, or if the individual, the human, was doing something and the product or housing element was really at fault and the person just ran into that item. Um, it was very difficult for us to suss that out from the narrative that was available to us. Yeah, and we were really looking for examples like in the narrative. And it, sometimes we saw it, so it would say, you know, someone cut their finger on a broken window. Well, obviously, you can suggest that a housing inspector look for um, a broken window and have it replaced. Um, but a lot of times we couldn't tell at all if there was anything at all wrong with the housing element. And, you know, it's just you can't really just say floors are dangerous without having a little more detail about how people are getting hurt on them in order to make your recommendations. Yeah, and we start certainly appreciate the challenges of a busy clinician and all of the tasks that he or she has to do in addition to documenting what they're getting from the patient. Um, but in this day and age of electronic medical records, when there can be, you know, when you can think about what um, is needed in a medical record and have like decision trees and drop down lists, I think it could be. I don't want to say easy, but it's certainly doable to create an infrastructure that helps the clinician get the important information that could then drive interventions or design changes in products. Yeah, and I think the same thing can be said just about um, injury data generally. So a, an easier system so clinicians could aid with the e-coding of injury data. Um, but we didn't even have the, the primary injury type isn't always necessarily available the way this system is right now because they kind of have to dig for it sometimes. So um, 
and I also think having the the nice system match up more closely with the the e coding system would be helpful. So, are there any uh, changes to the database itself that you would suggest? I understand you'd like uh, better information coming into it, but what about the way the database is structured? Yeah, I I don't understand why, um, and it's it must be because the way it was created, but I don't know why not to make just the narrative field longer. Um, what we saw time and time again was that the um, the coder, what they were typing in was truncated because of that 140 character limit or whatever it is. So I don't know why, what the limitation is to making that longer because we really saw a lot of um, coders who were trying to add more detail. Um, I also think just some simple coding um, to say what, what, if anything, they saw as a precipitating event or if they did feel like there was some some defect with the product that could be noted. Um, all of the data that we see coming out of the NICE data set, it's all just, um, you know, counting the number of injuries associated with trampolines or um, bouncy houses or all of the different things. And um, it would be great to know to what extent, like, the lack of supervision might be associated with the injuries. Um, and you can't really get that right now without kind of drilling down into the narrative text. So it would be great if there were some standard codes to um, to help with the understanding of it without having to kind of cull through all the narrative text. So the paper's been up online for several months now. It's the nature of publishing in 2016. Uh, what has been the results of this work? Have you received any feedback? Um, we've had a couple of um, inquiries about the paper, um, just people really requesting it from different places um, in the country. And we've kind of done a little bit better. We've presented the results to um, the National Healthy Housing Conference, and we've gone down to talk to HUD and um, some of those different places. And there we're presenting the results of the parent study, and this is Kind of, so the parent study was a case control study where we look at these housing elements as well as some others. And um, we've gotten some interest in people in, you know, maybe including them or the consideration of including them in the new HUD standards. So um, we felt pretty positive about that. Um, we haven't heard that anyone's ready to add the characters to the nice field yet, though, but maybe now that it's, you know, available on hard copy, maybe now they are or something. I don't know. I do think another benefit of this work has been that I think Wendy mentioned at the very beginning that part of the impetus of this was that, you know, we were noticing with the healthy housing movement that a lot of people were um, trying to integrate injury prevention, but they weren't really doing it from, from a data-driven way, nor were they really inviting um, injury prevention folks to the table when they were thinking about this work. And so I think this work has started to increase the dialogue between people who consider themselves housing people and those like us who think of themselves as in the injury control field. So let's finish up by just asking uh, what I always like to ask is, what, what are you working on now? What's happening at the Injury Center that is interesting to you? It's all interesting we, here at the Johns Hopkins yeah, Center. Yeah, we, we have a lot of irons in the fire. Um, so um, Part of the reason I got involved in this is because I oversee our safety resource centers. So the safety center was an innovation that was developed here at Hopkins almost 20 years ago now. It's a, a clinic-based uh, safety resource center that tries to reduce barriers um, to our particular population as low-income urban families, but trying to reduce the barriers to their access to safety information and safety products to keep their kids safe. And over the two decades that we started this, we've 
extended that clinic-based model to also be a mobile safety center. Um, so we're, we've got two of these centers up and running and are trying to continue to support them and reach out to um, new partners and, and priority audiences. Um, and then another exciting kind of newer area for us is getting into the technology arena. Um, we have a couple of smartphone applications that are using injury prevention content area um, as a way of reaching our priority population. So we have one on um, trying to promote booster seats among older children and another that we're exploring with adults around their use or interest in getting an opioid prescription for a pain-related injury that brings them into the emergency department. So, so as a way of trying to get at this opioid epidemic, we know there's a lot of work happening on the clinician side and trying to uh, change prescribing practices from the physician side of the equation. We want to also try to motivate or engage the patient and helping him or her think about uh, their risks um, and their perceived needs and um, concerns around their health issue and trying to get them to um, articulate their interest or lack of interest in having an opioid prescribed to them by a doctor. Well, thank you both. That was Wendy Shields and Eileen McDonald discussing their paper in the April 2016 issue of Injury Prevention, Structural Housing Elements Associated with Home Injuries in Children. The paper is the editor's choice. As always, it's available without access restrictions at the journal's website. And that wraps up this edition of our podcast. Join us again in June for highlights of the next issue.